Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm so excited about our guest today. Our guest is Paul Moore. Thanks for being on the show, Paul. You bet. It's great to be here, Whitney. I have to say, Paul is a great friend of mine. I've known Paul for many years now and just an amazing entrepreneur, mentor to me, and he didn't even know it, but uh, uh, he's helped me in many ways. And uh, But Paul uh, has an engineering degree, MBA from Ohio State. Uh, he started moving up the ladder at uh, Ford Motor Company in Detroit, but after five years, um, he started to build a staffing company that later sold for $2.9 million just five years after starting it. Um, he moved into real estate. He's had many success, successes. He's done developments, and, and uh, he's later moved into multifamily arena. And uh, Paul is the co-host of a podcast called How to Lose Money. He's an author, a speaker, and a Bigger Pockets contributor. And uh, Paul, would you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the real estate syndication business? Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> well, like you said, I um, I sold my company in 1998 in Detroit, and about uh, we decided to move to the Blue Ridge Mountains, kind of as a reaction against Detroit. We had two kids at the time, and um, we moved on top of a mountain. And you know, it's pe- so many people have a goal of being retired in their 30s or 40s, and I can tell you, I never want to retire again. It was the most boring miserable time of my life. I, I actually was unproductive. I felt unproductive. I was grouchy and uh, had two more kids in the process. I'm not sure how that happened. And uh, anyway, they're great kids. Three of the four kids are awesome. The other one is, no, the other one's off. They're all awesome. I'm just being silly here. But seriously, we um, we we started getting into real estate. We My buddy Jack and I, um, started flipping houses before the word flipping has ever, you know, even was, it was even a thing. And we did dozens and dozens of houses. And I thought, well, if I can make money flipping houses, you know, how about building new houses? And you know, Whitney, a guy who doesn't know how to tighten a doorknob in his office shouldn't be building a house from the ground up. That's just what I'm thinking. I don't know what you think or your listeners think, but you know, I wasn't a very good builder, but we did go ahead and build seven houses. We did, uh, I think six modular homes and one ground up uh, uh, home. And that's what convinced me I didn't want to do that anymore. So I, I built a real estate website. I ended up getting into flipping high-end waterfront lots. We did a couple dozen of those, built a quasi multifamily quasi hotel in North Dakota in the oil boom helped with a Hyatt hotel. And then I got squarely into multifamily and we jumped in. I was in my fifties already. I know I don't look a day over 40, but I was in my fifties already. And I thought, I don't have 20 years to, to build this syndication business, you know, from the ground up, you know, starting with duplexes and four and eight and all that. And that's a great way to build a company. But I was, you know, already over 50. And so we jumped in, we bought, we got a, hired a fairly expensive mentor and we started um, big. Our goal was to start by buying large apartments, start syndicating right away. And uh, we've learned quite a few lessons since then in the last four years, let me tell you. That's incredible. So tell me, you know, from your experience, you know, you've done so many things in real estate and you've had many successes. And why now real estate syndication over, you know, you made money in flipping, but why syndication 
as opposed to just building a larger flipping business? That's a great question. There are so many economies of scale when you get to a larger level. And so flipping individual houses, you know, we made anywhere from negative 10,000 to uh, $50,000 profit each on these houses. And um, we, we made a lot more than we lost, but it, it, was, it was just a one-off, you know, each time. And our goal was to build wealth. And once we realized the economies of scale involved in larger product projects, and we realized it's not that much harder to acquire a hundred unit apartment building than it is say an eight unit apartment building. We thought, well, let's bring in other people and let's do this through a syndication. And so um, I, uh, I realized that I knew, I, I didn't actually know how, but I realized that I could actually raise money. And when I realized that, that was the key to me really saying, okay, I've raised, you know, I've raised a million or two for these smaller projects, but I can actually raise a lot more than that. When I realized that, that made me definitely want to go whole hog after syndication. So you mentioned a few minutes ago that you, you hired a mentor and, and I haven't had many people yet talk about, you know, the, the necessity or the need of having a mentor. And maybe if you could elaborate a little bit on, you know, why, you know, you had a big real estate background, but still, you know, you changed your focus in real estate and you said, okay, you know, I need a, I need a mentor. What really confirmed that decision and how did you pick them? Well, I mean, like you said earlier, I've got a podcast called How to Lose Money. So I know something about uh, failure uh, in my own life and my partner's lives. And also, you know, we, we interview guests every week with that. But um, I, I just knew that there were a lot of ways to do it wrong. And I didn't want to do that. You know, I really thought I need, uh, it's worth the $25,000 and the year of my life uh, to be absolutely sure that I have the systems right, the forms, the contacts, that I'm going about this right. And uh, I, I, I'm absolutely, I'll never regret the fact that we hired the mentor and they, we're still in touch with them, not every week, but we're still in touch with them fairly regularly uh, four and a half years later. And they still help us answer questions. Uh, and, um, it, you know, I, 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 I think mentoring, I, I have, I'm, I'm working on a book called Seven Paths to Multifamily Mastery. I might change the name to, um, well, I won't get into that, but um, I, I might change the name. But um, seriously, one of the paths is finding a mentor. And I think it is my favorite path of the different paths I can see people following seven distinct paths that they could follow to become a successful syndicator. Finding a mentor is my favorite one. Wow, seven paths to multifamily mastery and mentoring being just one of the one of them. I, I, I personally also agree. I, I feel like mentoring gives you a, an extra bit of confidence that you couldn't have otherwise. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, we have if we have questions, like I said, we we email or call, uh, you know, the CEO of the mentoring company. And they're actually quite a sizable company now, but I can still call or text the CEO anytime. And that's, there's a, there's a big difference between really good paid coaches and mentors and then other people who are just trying to sell and upsell and re-upsell you. And Whitney, I think you had some experience with that uh, a decade or two ago, didn't you? Um, I did. If, if I'm not mistaken, there's a big difference, isn't there? There's a, a very big difference. It's hard to know uh, when someone is genuinely uh, interested in your success as opposed to just your your wallet. Right. Uh, but so will you tell us a little bit about uh, maybe a recent deal that, that Wellings Capital did? 
Yeah. So, you know, I wrote a book called The Perfect Investment and it's about multifamily investing. And I feel a little weird about it now because uh, the perfect investment is no longer perfect if you can't find any deals. And as we record this here in the you know, late summer of 2018, it's very, very hard to find multifamily deals that make sense. I, I have friends looking for duplexes. They can't find any that pencil out. I have friends looking for 300 units. They, they have found a few, but not that many that work. And so it's really hard. So we recently decided in the spring of 2018 to actually expand into self-storage. And there's all kinds of reasons and metrics and demographics for why self-storage is a great investment right now. And if you ask me later in the show, I can get into that a little bit. But we actually decided, you know, I've been studying Warren Buffett. I'm actually uh, writing a lot of uh, articles for Bigger Pockets on Warren Buffett's advice for real estate investors. And uh, one thing he does really well is he doesn't start companies from the ground up. He actually invests in other companies that have a successful, you know, product. They're in a great location, et cetera. He throws money at them and helps those people grow. And so we decided that's the way to get into self-storage for us. And so back in the spring, we took two trips to a self-storage company's headquarters, met with the CEO for many hours each time. We went out and looked at about six of their deals. I actually went to Florida later and looked at a couple of their upcoming deals. And we decided to tell our investors about that. And we invested with them. So our investors put, we put together $2.9 million all into one check. We gave that check to the self-storage company and we invested in one of their deals. And so all of our investors are part of our one group investing in that company. So that's my most recent deal. Really excited to do more like that. We did a multifamily deal about nine months ago as well in Lexington, Kentucky. And one thing that's really exciting about that is we found out at the very beginning of seeing that deal that they were spending way more than they needed to on water and sewer, like over double what they should have been. And we realized they probably had a lot of leaks. We talked to a maintenance guy and the pool, they said, you know, was dropping, the water level was dropping about six or seven inches a day. And we said, well, what are you doing about that? He said, oh, I just fill her up every day. <laughs> and so I, we thought, oh, okay, good. That's good. Keep doing that. So we, we acquired this facility and we actually have been systematically fixing dozens and dozens of toilet flappers or whatever they're called. And we fixed the pool and we fixed some other leaks. And so we're bringing the water costs way down, water and sewer and gas costs as well. And so by doing that, we're actually adding a significant, I think 10% to the bottom line. Now, when you take 10%, and this is another reason I love syndication, Whitney, if you take 10% add it to the bottom line, but you're leveraged at about 65% loan to value ratio, you just basically added about 30% to the leveraged bottom line, okay? I'm just saying it that way. Because when you divide your net income in a commercial deal by the cap rate, you will come up with the value. Okay, so if you can add $75,000 to your bottom line, you divide that by the current cap rate of, let's say, 7%, you're adding something like a million dollars to the value of that property. And we did that for about a sixty-five dollars or $75,000 investment. Where else can you get a return like that, Whitney? I ask you. 
<laughs> Nowhere. Not that I know of. It's true. So that's one of the reasons we love syndication. One of the reasons we love apartments. And uh, so if anybody has uh, apartments, call 1-800. No, seriously, call Whitney uh, and let us know because we would love to acquire more uh, multifamily. So me and you talked a little bit about a deal that you all just put a bid in on. We were going to discuss that. Um, could you elaborate a little bit about, you know, how you, what made that a deal you wanted to pursue even in this market and, and uh, why it didn't turn out? Yeah, it was in Knoxville, Tennessee. And it was actually outside of Knoxville in a small town. And it didn't have that much competition. It was built in 1984, if I'm not mistaken, had about 130 units. And the original owners were still managing this. Wow. They had a huge group of owners. It had not been upgraded very much. We asked them why they chose white appliances for the upgrades they had done. And, and I'm not against white appliances necessarily, maybe. And um, But the, the manager said, oh, I just like white. And so we said, that's good, good, okay, keep doing that. And um, But seriously, um, the um, property manager was telling us how she had, um, uh, she did not want to upgrade certain vacant units because she didn't want that to hit her budget till later in the year. And we said, no, come again. And she said, no, we, we, we don't want, we're just going to leave those, you know, two or three units vacant that just went vacant in July because, you know, we don't want all that money, you know, that 5,000 per unit or whatever expense to change the flooring and kitchen out. We don't want that to hit our, our, you know, our financials till like November or December. So we're just going to leave those empty. We said, oh, okay. That's, that's interesting. So we, with things like that, you know, hey, here's an opportunity. Well, the problem, Whitney, is there's a lot of other people that see that opportunity as well. We're not unique. And um, so um, some other people might, I'm not saying if they would, but they might be willing to overpay. And I think there are several reasons that some multifamily syndicator investors might be willing to overpay these days. Um, number one, uh, there's a lot of 1031 money coming out of deals that have been sold and this 1031 exchange money has to be placed. And in some cases, you know, they may have to pay 20%, uh, whatever the capital gains tax is for them, that they might be willing to overpay by five or 10% over what the t- very maximum value is just to avoid paying that tax. That's number one. Number two, self-directed IRAs are more popular than ever. And some people have self-directed IRA money. They should be just as discriminating with that money as any other cash. But sometimes, honestly, they're not. Number three, there's international money. There's foreign investment money coming into the U.S. And sometimes those people, there's a guy I'm working with right now in China who says some of his investors are willing to get in for a zero profit just to get out of the Chinese currency into the U.S. dollar. And they just want to get into U.S. assets. And some of those folks, like I talked to a guy in New Zealand the other day who said that their cap rates are like half of ours, meaning for pound for pound, they're paying double for the same apartment building that we are here. So they still think it's a good deal to pay, you know, let's say a four and a half cap uh, rate, you know, deal here instead of a two and a half or three cap in, you know, New Zealand or wherever. And the fifth reason I think some people are overpaying is honestly, there might be some unscrupulous operators out there who are fudging the numbers a little bit 
or maybe they're inexperienced. Let's say they're not unscrupulous. I wouldn't say that. Let's say they're inexperienced and, they're, and, and their numbers aren't really right and their investors don't know any better and they're overpaying and they might end up being real sorry as we saw 10 years ago in the last recession at some point. So I think that's what's going on. And I, that's a very long answer, hopefully helpful for why we didn't win that deal or any other deal we bid on this year. Yeah, no, that's really good. I appreciate you laying out how why people are overpaying in this market. And I think it shows uh, just great due diligence and, and analyzing on, on your deal, on your part, uh, that you all didn't move forward and didn't overpay. Well, thanks. I think that that just uh, in, increases your confidence or investors' confidence, you and Wellings Capital. Wouldn't you agree? I think so. You know, I Sometimes I'll start an investor call and they'll be really excited to, to talk with me and I'll say, well, I just want to tell you, um, we're all in our 50s. We've all made mistakes. I have a How to Lose Money podcast and I can't promise you we'll have any deals to invest in anytime soon. And they, and they generally think well of me for that. So, you know, I mean, I'd like to have something to invest in. There are a lot of opportunities in self-storage right now compared to multifamily. So that's one of the reasons we're looking at that as well. Well, let's let's talk about that. Uh, you mentioned self storage quite a few times, and uh, on why why would we why should we consider self storage now instead of just really focusing on multifamily completely? You know, in the last recession, self storage actually did quite well, and I, I had a hint of that when I wrote my book, um, and I mentioned it I think once in the book briefly. But the Sharp Ratio, S H A R P E, <clears throat> which measures the return divided by the risk or the volatility over a long time, it's up to four or five times, multifamilies is four or five times better than the S&P 500 and some other measures. And it's better than almost every other commercial real estate asset class. But self-storage, even though it's usually not broken out from warehousing and industrial, uh, it's actually better than multifamily, which means it's actually got a better risk-adjusted return over the last several decades than perhaps anything out there. Let me tell you what's so exciting about self-storage. There are about 53,000 self-storage facilities in the U.S., which is about the same as the total of uh, McDonald's, Subways, and Starbucks in the U.S. And about 40,000 of those, from what we can tell, are operated, owned and operated by mom and pop or independent operators, which means that they may be doing fine, but they may not be doing incredibly. Then, so that's one large class of owners, okay, of self-storage, 40,000 of the 53. Then you got a handful at the top owned by REITs and maybe 10% are owned by, you know, public storage, which has 7% of the market and then a whole bunch of others that have maybe 1% each of the market. But you've got this gap between the mom and pops down here and the REITs up here. And this gap is where the incredible opportunity is. It's possible to acquire one of these 40,000 um, facilities that is operated okay and bring in new systems, new marketing, new management, new operations, add all kinds of value add opportunities like adding U-Haul. For example, adding U-Haul with very little effort, you can add two or 3,000 a month to your bottom line. And again, if you use the, divide that by the cap rate, that's 36,000 a year perhaps, divided by a 7% cap rate, I think that's like a $700,000 increase 
to the bottom line, you can do the math. It's probably, I'm not sure if it's that high, but it's over half a million dollars increase just by a policy change without knocking out any walls or changing any toilets or cabinets. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities to get, you wouldn't think that value add would be something you could do on self-storage, but you actually can. There's all kinds of things that can be done. And so um, there are a lot of opportunities to acquire these properties that you don't have in a typical, in, in multifamily these days. And there's all kinds of other benefits as well. Wow, Paul. I'm going to change our direction just a little bit. And uh, just, you know, with your experience in real estate and now the syndication business, can you just tell us, you know, from your opinion, why do most syndicators fail in this business? You know, there's very few that do fail. That's the amazing thing. If you look at the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac statistics, uh, the uh, Mortgage Bankers Association, I don't have the exact stat right in front of me, but I believe that they, Freddie Mac hasn't had a foreclosure in like four years in the U.S., if I'm not mistaken. So not very many fail, and that really speaks to the health and the risk averseness, is that a word, of this asset class. So I love multifamily uh, for that reason. Um, Self-storage, very similar. Uh, mobile home parks, similar. There, there's very few failures uh, in mobile home parks as well. But I think if, if, if syndicators fail, it's through either picking a bad location where there's a dropping net population migration um, or picking a bad property manager or a combination of the two and possibly somebody in the company or in the property management firm, you know, not treating financials, not treating cash the way they should, you know, maybe taking off with the money. Those are some of the main reasons. Now, in the downturn, I think a lot of people who failed, even though there weren't very many, they were probably overpaying. They had probably just overpaid in places like Florida, California, Nevada, or Arizona, where there's large spikes, people make a lot of money in great times, and then there's large drops in bad times. And those areas are rife with that. Uh, we interviewed a guy that you probably know of named Rod Cleef on our How to Lose Money podcast, and he said that his single family investments dropped by like 55% in value in Florida uh, in the last recession. And uh, even though his multifamily did quite well still, he lost the whole thing because they were cross-collateralized. And he said he would never do that again. In fact, he said he won't do single family again. And one of the reasons, it's one of the reasons he loves multifamily. Wow. Well, tell us the number one thing that's contributed to your success. Wow. Uh, great question. Um, I think it is actually, um, actually, I would think it's my faith personally. I I really have, and that's a whole mindset. It's not just faith in God, but it's also a mindset of being really, really positive, of, of being upbeat, at looking at things at the glass, you know, half full, not half empty. You know, we can change our lives and we can change our situation and our future and everything around us just by looking at things differently because there's so many good things that come to people who are positive and people who believe and people who, you know, have view life through a certain lens. Uh, a lot of people have very similar skill sets. And a lot of people have very similar education, background IQ, but just a few really, really sore. And, you know, I want to be one of those people who leaves a mark on history. And in fact, uh, I was with a multifamily syndication 
mastermind group in person in Brooklyn this weekend. And I said, my number one goal is to change history. And then I paused for effect. And then I said, uh, I really want to uh, fund a billion dollars toward fighting human trafficking and rescuing its victims. And um, those are the kind of things, you know, that uh, those are some of the big initiatives that I'm involved in right now. Wow. Paul, thank you so much. And I've appreciated having you on the show today. Tell the listener how they can get in touch with you and learn more about your company. All right. So it's wellingscapital.com. That's W-E-L-L-I-N-G-S capital.com. They can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher, How to Lose Money podcast or howtolosemoney.com. Or they can go on Amazon and buy my book. It's called The Perfect Investment and it's got a long subtitle that I can't remember. Well, thank you for listening and we will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.